big rocks and all that sort of thing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to uh, the latest edition of the Mick Wall podcast. Um, we've been, I say we, I've been a bit spotty lately, haven't been able to keep these things going with the regularity that I should. That is partly an equipment failure. Uh, the last time John Hotton and I uh, tried to do a pod, we realized there was something wrong. And although I think I know what it is, buying the new equipment is not something I've been able to get around to yet. Um, mainly because I've been so busy doing other things. There are currently six different book projects underway in various stages of early days, crazy days, and oh, fuck. The one I want to talk about today, though, uh, is the one that means the most to me right now, which is down and out in London and LA. Uh, this is my own privately published limited edition uh, signed um, book, which is a collection of stories by me, obviously. Um, are they to do with rock stars and rock and roll? No. Uh, there, there is the occasional rock star in there because that's just my life. Um, but no. No, I'm not remotely interested in writing any more stories about that stuff when I'm doing it purely for my own pleasure uh, or interest. So um, this really is, in terms of blood and in terms of family, um, this is the black sheep brother to Paranoid. Um, Get Your Rocks Off, which came out in 2015, I think. That was sort of pushed a little bit as a kind of a companion to Paranoid, which it was in many ways. But it really did concern itself with rock stars. That was at the urging of my then agent and my then publisher, which I then went along with, uh, knowing that it would not have the same effect Paranoid did. Um but at the same time, I think I was given 50p and a pint of wallop for Paranoid, um, where I was actually given some proper money for Get Your Rocks Off, so I felt I had to meet them halfway. Down and out in London and LA, I've been given no money for, no publisher, no money, no nothing. Uh, actually, that's not strictly true. A lot of you, many of you have... Uh, given me money to make this book a reality. Uh, not to write it, I'd written most of it already, nearly all of it, um, over several years, uh, in between the cracks of doing other things. 
Um, it, it was just to get the money to get the thing printed, um, which again didn't really exist in the past the way it does now when you Google or go on websites or whatever. Um, and there will be a proper dedication and list uh, in that book to those very, very um, incredibly generous and kind uh, adventurers that put their hands in their pockets to try and make this book a reality. Uh, it's all done by the shouting. Uh, I got told at the last minute that there were supply issues, meaning a lot of the materials, because I wanted it recycled paper and all that kind of gubbins. Um, it, we do not want to talk about why there are supply issues. We all know why there are supply issues. Thank you, Brexit. Um, nothing to do with COVID or the war or anything. Purely Brexit. But they're now on the way. So I'm going to um, talk about the book today, try and explain a little more really about what it is, where it came from and, and, and what you can expect. I'm also going to uh, maybe read a couple of extracts from it, purely randomly. I've got it on the computer screen here. It'll be like Russian roulette. I will literally just roll the dice and speed scroll and wherever it lands, I'll read from that story. Um, but first of all, what what is it? Um, this is me. This is the writer I always hoped to be or wanted to be as far back as I can remember. What kept me so long were two things. Number one, I just couldn't manage. I, I tried so many times over the years to try and write something that wasn't a review of a band or a record or an interview. And every time I did, it came out the way everybody's uh, kind of goes at this comes out, just horrible, amateurish, trying too hard, trying to be like a writer, writing a story, a short story. I mean, ugh. Um, William Burroughs once uh, described his early work as being so terrifyingly, you know, disappointing and awful that he wanted to get the pages all torn up and buried in a hole in the ground. And that's where these things deserve to be. I don't know if it's like this for everyone. Nothing is like anything for everyone. But for a lot of people, me included, um, it's a case of just having to kind of live through that shit to get to, to be able to get to a point where finally what you do, it may embarrass others and others may decide it's the most appalling nonsense. But you're happy with it. And that's as good as it can get. Once you're happy with it, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It really, really doesn't. Um, and it just took me that long. Um, I kind of first got there with Paranoid. And Paranoid was written, oh my God, in 1998. So what is that? Nearly 14 years ago. No, what the fuck am I talking about? 1990, no, 20, 24 years ago. God almighty. A lot of these stories were written uh, over the last sort of 15 years. 
uh, here, there and everywhere. Um, and I have here and there because you look back and uh, for the change for the for the sake of changing a word here and there or or, or trimming something or um, just a real quick second look um, it just makes it what it needs to be now but there really hasn't been any rewriting uh, no one's read it no one's edited it there will be mistakes I've got my great friend Maureen Rice, who is an absolutely superb professional editor. She's giving it the once over just for typos uh, and obvious stuff. But the fact is, it's riddled with, as it were, mistakes because it's written, a lot of it's written in vernacular. Uh, a lot of it is written um, in a way that isn't meant to be accurate or uh, mistake-free. I quite enjoy mistakes. Most of my mistakes are deliberate. Uh, what I've asked Maureen to do is see if she can spot any mistakes that aren't deliberate, um, uh, and, and, and maybe we'll fix that. Maybe we won't. I actually don't really think it's important. If you, if you look at the early, what they used to call chapbooks, that Charles Bukowski did, for instance, um, it's all mistakes, you know, but that doesn't stop them being beautiful objects in their own right. Um, it, it, in fact, if anything, it kind of enhances the work. It brings you as a reader more into the room. And it is very much part of the aesthetic, which is not to demonstrate what a great writer you are, but to try and eliminate that filter to the point where um, you're trying to get much closer to what the actual feeling was when you were writing. The first words are more important to me than better words or best words. Um, there are no, there are no, uh, there's no intention here um to do something that people will go oh my lord have you have you read it oh he's such a wonderful stylist you know incredible no it isn't that it isn't that it's um i think the twin the twin paths that led me here in terms of the writing paranoid which was the first time i was able to demonstrate to myself at least that um these uh, miniature one-inch thoughts and ideas that I would put down um, had uh, had some interest for readers beyond that, for anybody other than myself. And anybody that didn't get it, that was fine. I, 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 didn't, I haven't written this so everybody will get it. This is not universal. This is not broadcast. This is narrow, narrow. I was going to say blinkered. It's not even blinkered. It's, it's blind. It's flying blind. Flying blind with one wing. Lemmy once told me that um, he was comparing Hawkwind to Pink Floyd because they both became uh, seriously famous as experimentalists or prog, if you want to call it that, around the same time. And he said with Floyd, you know, it was... Uh, um, it was a per by the time you get to Dark Side, it's like a perfect machine that uh, 
uh, it's like spotting a UFO and and getting the detail, and it's just uh, it's it's something extraordinary and immersive. He said, with Hawkwind, with us, um, the the rocket ship, the spaceship, ha- was always broken. It had crash landed. That's what this writing is. Not because it's cool. Um, it just is what it is. So I'm half expecting uh, some of the people that have laid out money uh, just to buy it because they like Mick Wall books and they like rock music. And I think there will be a certain amount that go, what the fuck have I bought here? But that's that's what I call collateral damage. That's the same with any book I write, whether it's on prints or on my own um, peccadillos. Um, there'll always be people that don't like it, which is fine. I don't care. I never wrote the thing so people would like it. I wrote it because I had to kind of, um, like having a shit, I just had to sit down and do it. Right, so uh, I'm sure there'll be more to add to those extraordinarily insightful thoughts. But what I'm going to do right now is just scroll, scroll. Okay, the first one that comes up is called A Cold Rotten Day in Hell. Uh, And it goes like this. It was a cold, rotten day in hell, and Santa had had enough. He sat around on the big mounted cushions, too pooped to even drink. He looked on idly at the preening green elves standing around in front of the fire, smoking and tappy-tapping their phones. He sighed a long, heavy, snow-deep sigh. I wish I could lose this gut, he thought. I feel like I'm carrying around a parasite, a joke version of me that stopped being funny so long ago Nobody even realises anymore it's really a joke. He leant over, tried to fart, couldn't. Still bunged up from the pain pills and lack of veg in his diet. He hadn't had a decent shit in days. He just felt like shit. His phone dinged. He scoped the text wearily. Cheer up, Santa. Be merry. He looked at it with disgust, scrolled down for the name, deleted it from his prezi list, leant over and tried to fart again. No use. What was it about this place, he wondered? Their reliance on fairy tales their refusal to do without the sugar coating, their cheap laughs and famished ha-ha-has. He wondered about Jesus. He hadn't seen him in ages. Once was, he was always around this time of year. You couldn't avoid him. Now he'd checked out like the rest of them. Santa wished he could do the same, but he wasn't allowed. 
against the rules. No chance. Fuck it. So there's that. And uh, I'll read another one. I can tell you really enjoyed that one. I'm going to scroll. Scroll, 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 scroll. Am I going to read that one? I wish I hadn't done this scrolling thing now. Uh, hang on, I'll find something that's a bit... Ugh, oh my God. Ugh. Okay, here we go. Oh no, I can't read that. Uh, oh, this is not working, is it? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause and find a good one. All right, this will do. This is called Xmas Morn Hollygood. It was Christmas morning in Hollywood. When Nikolai awoke, he was pleased to find himself so far from home. London was awful this time of year. He always thought so anyway. Too cold, grey, too dreary. Way too much emphasis on Christmas and la-di-da. Fucking painful, man. He got up and drew back the curtains and looked out on the pool. It was already hot out there and crowded. Another day at the sunset marquee, baby, and the smog was already burning away over the hills. He picked up the phone and dialed room service, ordered breakfast, then jumped in the shower. No presents to unwrap, nowhere special to be, only the sun and all the shops open. This was the life. All those so-called London friends that used to shudder and say how they could never live in L.A. Like they would ever get the chance. It's like feeling sorry for lottery winners. Must be awful. Such a false way to live. Yadda, yadda, yadda. But what would they really say if their number finally came up? like Nikolai's had. He wasn't a millionaire, but he sure felt like one, padding around the strip in his hemp spadrels and easy pants, his Harley tea and Ray-Bans. After breakfast, he would take a walk up to Book Soup, opposite Tower, see what was shaking. There was a chick behind the counter there, just loved his English accent. Buy some of those far-out magazines you never saw anywhere else, the ones full of real writers he could never hope to emulate. The ones that had been privately educated and skied in Aspen. The ones full of the expensive blow and Playboy centrefolds. Not like him, making it all up as he went along. Then across the street to Tower, load up on CDs that cost half what they did back home. Home. Not where his heart was. Lucky, lucky Nikolai. L.A. was where his heart lay now, 
home was for someone else in some other place and time. No going back now, baby. He was on his way, big time. First, though, a little weed and a dip in the pool. He slid open the French window and tiptoed, ouching across the hot concrete to the pool and slid in. The deep end. Swam slowly to the other end of the pool, eyes open, enjoying the sight of all the tanned legs and arms already fluttering around the periphery. Nikolai never saw an ugly girl in L.A. Not at the Sunset Marquee, anyway. Only ugly boil, only, only ugly boys, pale and chancy like him. He swam to the bottom of the pool and stretched out, all comfy and nice, all very relaxed and cool, laid out all nice in the blue, 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 waiting for someone to come along and take his order. He waited and waited. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, going to try and find another one. If I can, I'm looking for the shorter ones, which you would imagine would be easier. Most of them are pretty short. <sighs> okay, here's one. Uh, Lammas Park. This is called Lammas Park. And it goes like this. Listening to the TV, watching the radio, everyone talking of the meltdown. One of the lowest times for me was the winter before I started for Kerrang, shacked up with an alcoholic speed freak in Chiswick whose love I never got, still saved for my older, much more exciting predecessor. She had recently enrolled at St Martin's as a mature student studying fine art. Oh yeah. And I was living on a quid a day, often less, pretending to look for a job, pretending to think about going to college myself, pretending I knew what the fuck I was doing. Because it was her gaff, a one-room shithole where we shared the kitchen and bathroom with the gay couple in the next room, she wouldn't let me have a key. So I would pocket the backdoor kitchen key 
before leaving with her for the tube station each morning. Staggering down the road in the hungover, deathly cold, not even speaking. Her only thinking of college and whatever masterpiece she was currently working on. Me hoping her train would come first so I could then walk back to the flat, let myself in by the back door and crawl back into bed. Some mornings it didn't work out though and my train came first so it would be plan B. I had to pretend to her I had a job, somewhere to go and do. But I had nothing, no place to stay, no job to do, nothing. So I would ride the tube from Chiswick Park to Ealing Broadway. No electronic ticket barriers in those days, often no guards at all. Maybe some old black who didn't give a fuck, stick a 10p in his hand, he'd let you through no hassle. Ealing was only a couple of stops away and I would make for the baker's shop opposite the station. A styrofoam cup of tomato soup and a ham salad roll could be bought for 50p and starving as I always, always was back then, I would already be drooling as they handed it over in the white paper bag. I would save it for the library, which was a five-minute walk away. Weekday mornings, there was hardly anyone ever in there, and though you weren't supposed to bring food or drink in, I would carry my precious bag of goodies in there, not looking left or right, find myself a cold seat in the corner, look for some Henry Miller off the shelf. This was very much my tropic of what-fucking-ever phase, and carry it back and start reading as I ate, eking out every mouthful so that it lasted as long as possible, my stomach still groaning loudly for more when I'd finished, licking the crumbs and red stains off my fingers, dreaming of a white Christmas and much, much more. Did the art drink, speed, whore ever know what I was up to? Of course not. That would have required putting a name to a face in her mind and I would never tick enough boxes in what passed for her thoughts for that. Instead, when I could no longer get away with hiding in the library, I would walk through Lammas Park, smoking cigarettes to keep warm waiting for it to start to get dark. Sometimes I bumped into Tony, an older loser whose wife had run off with someone much more exciting and left him with twin daughters to clean up after. Tony was in therapy, he said, when he said anything at all, which wasn't often. He was dull, dull, dull but he let me hang around a bit and sometimes we would go back to his shithole for a cup of tea. At least his place was his. Me, I still had to slope off back to the tube and go back to the room that wasn't mine, make the bed that wasn't mine and wait for the bitch that was never truly mine to come home and tell me all about her fantastic day.
how she and the guys were going to New York next spring to see the Whatever Museum, or maybe Amsterdam or Paris. The art world was full of far-out destinations, full of brilliant, crazy kids, just like her and all the other amazing guys at college. By then she'd be pissed and speeding and nothing else mattered. She'd pull out the half bottle of Voddy from her bag and I'd fetch a couple of dirty glasses from the kitchen, remembering to put back the key. And we'd sit there playing records, listening to how she was going to rule the whole fucking world. Me just toughing it out, waiting for the sky to fall which of course it eventually did. That's that one. One more maybe. Here we go. This one is called Lou and Axel. I was sitting in a bar in West Hollywood. I'll start that again. I was sitting in a bar in West Hollywood with Lou and Axel. We were waiting for God, but as usual he was late. Anyhow, while we waited, I was spilling my guts and they were trying to give me advice on affairs of the heart. That's how the fancy writers put it, right? Affairs of the heart. They were giving it the big un. Plenty more fish, time heals. You know the spiel. I looked at them. And what would you know about it? I said to Axel. One wife, one nearly wife, then nothing you would talk about for the next 20 years. Listening to you is like yelling in Tommy's ear and expecting an answer. Or for him to even see you. You're so face down in your own pity pot, you don't even know what it's like to talk to a woman, let alone have to take her shit. Lou sniggered. You can fuck off too, I said. What's your story again? A mum's boy who married the first homemaker he found, then left her for a man. Several men. Before hooking up with something that was neither man nor woman, just the thing, as your roadies called him, her, it. Before repeating the whole cycle, before finally finding the light with a being from the future. Hey, bitch, said Axel, getting up to leave, always in a hurry to run. You can't, you can't talk like that to Lou. I'll kick your ass. I looked at him. Early fifties, like me. Fat, like me. Lot of work on the face. Plenty of fake hair. Fake everything. Unlike me. Piss off, I said. He did. Lou tried for the cool shtick, ice you out with just one look or no look from behind his big expensive Italian-made sunglasses. He lit another cigarette. He'd been stinking up the gaff since he sat down. What are you waiting for, I said. Skedaddle, you're making me sick. He got up like I was the one making the bad smell, walked away slowly, never turning his back on me, muttering something. 
sounded like a lyric. Whore and motherfucker and blah, blah, blah. Same old Lou. Finally, I was left alone in peace. I inhaled, exhaled, looked around. Still no sign of the big kahuna. So what? This joint wasn't so bad. Not once the lunchtime crowd thinned out. I might stick around, I thought. Or I might not. There's one other one I want to read, but I'm going to have to find it. So I'm going to pause one sec here. A short one called Sunday Morning in Helltown. Long ago now, back in the God knows why, I was starving and it was Sunday morning in Helltown. In the days when not even the pubs were open, let alone garages and, don't joke, shops. I had 50p in my pocket. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, nothing, nothing ever. You never got used to it, which is what wore you down. You never saw a good side. There wasn't any. You just kept on walking, holding your thin market jacket tight against the wind and the shadows, even on the sunny side of the street, waiting for death, knowing life had not yet really begun. I got to the corner of Acton High Street and Horn Lane and looked across at the only place open for miles, a greasy spoon thick with cigarette smoke and sweaty gloom. The only people that went there on a Sunday morning were the ones worse off than you. Even the ones better off, the ones who could actually afford breakfast, seemed worse off. The worse off people from the far worse off land where they had always lived and died. The place you didn't want to go yet felt sure was only one more misstep away. I walked in and went to the counter. The guy with no eyes, no soul, no shit stood there, not giving a fuck. Cup of tea and two slices, please, mate. If he'd looked at me, there would have been disgust in his eyes. As it was, he couldn't even give me that. I found a table and sat down. I lit a cigarette. Funny how the poor can always afford a ciggy to keep us warm. I looked around, then looked away. I toyed with the idea of getting the bus to my folks. The bus stop was just up the road. I thought about it, then looked away. Surely something had to happen to come along, just as the last lights were going out. Turns out it didn't. I ate my two slices of white bread, stained with margarine and drank my sweet black stewed tea eking it out so I could stay seated here inside longer I found another cigarette and lit it how had it come to this I wondered I'd once lived in a flat in West Hampstead so big they held summer fates in the back garden and there had been women young up for it, all the women that had never been there in the days before when I was sleeping on couches and floors, and that were now gone again. 
all except one. And she had a long-term boyfriend who, being smart, she had already decided was a much better bet than me. It was not something I disagreed with. But did she have to always be so damn right? Me so damn wrong? Turns out she did. We both did. I got up to leave. The sun was gone from the outside, leaving only the cold and the wind biting through my everything as I struggled back up the road to Churchfield Road and the tiny shithole I shared with the others. I was going to say the others like me, but none of them were like me. If they wanted, they really could get the bus home. Maybe one day they would take me with them. That was the hope I lived for. That and something better to do. Or just no Sundays at all. One or the other. Okay, that's that one. I think maybe... Maybe one more. Oh. One last quick one, because I've got to go. Where you been, baby? It was 27 years later. 27 fucking years. What happened? I'd thrown it all away. Walked out the door not knowing I wasn't coming back. Then the bust at the airport in 96 that killed my US visa. Unless I shelled out the big bucks. And I didn't have any big bucks. Not for years. Then when I did, I was too fat, too Bald, too old, too out of the game, and no way back I could see. I gave up. It's exhausting just trying to relate. Then we sold our house. We had to. And with some of what came in, I finally hired the lawyer, paid the big bucks, and there I was back in the place I still loved best. Los Angeles, baby. Staying in a big fuck-off manch out in the boo. Dylan living up the road. Pammy Anderson around the corner. Anthony Kiedis and Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Sitting in the local Starbucks. Going hiking in the early morn over the sand dunes. Head height with low-flying pelicans. Pelicans, man. Right in front of your eyes. I had never hung out in Malibu back in my day of the days and kind of wished I could find a way to get over to West Hollywood. But I couldn't, and it was great where I was, drinking and eating by the beach at the place called the Sunset every night. So, until the final day, waiting for my flight home in the evening, and my new best friend, Will, drove me out to the place where it all happened. Sunset Boulevard, heading in from the east. Wow. Past the riot house, now called something else. The past erased, except, except for those with memories now longer than our hair. Past the spot on the right where Tower Records used to be. Used to be? Fuck, man, fuck. 
I felt like my whole family had died and I'd been in prison when it happened, so I hadn't made the funeral. Now here I was, way too late, mourning quietly by myself. One small victory, book soup. Still over there on the left. I looked for the source on the right, but couldn't see it. Another one gone. I flashed on the hemp tables and chairs, the veggie menu and waitresses that all looked like Stevie Nicks before she joined Fleetwood Mac. Where the fuck had it gone? And why? Why? Where the fuck had I gone? And why? We drove past the Roxy and the Rainbow and my guts twisted and moaned. How many nights had I lost there? Not in it. Out of it. 27 years, man. 27 fucking years. I suddenly realised Will was taking me back to where I used to live. No, I said. Come on, man. You don't even want to see it? No. I couldn't bear it. I could not bear it. I felt like a burn victim being shown old pictures of their face before the terrible thing happened that changed everything. Just take me to the airport, Will, please. He did. We stopped off at the In-N-Out Burger joint by LAX and sat outside as the planes flew over and my past kept trying to rush me. I would be back, I was fairly sure. But those nights, those days and people and times and things would never be back. They say LA is full of ghosts. I never knew I'd be one one day. Ghosts never do. Uh, and that's all from Down and Out in London and LA, $29.99 if you want one. There are only 250 and we still have some left just. It's a PayPal thing to lynda.wall. No, no, yeah, lynda.wall92 at gmail.com if you want one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How do I stop this, Fern? <laughs>